On episode 34 of the Violence Design Lab podcast, we're talking about working on stages that aren't a traditional proscenium. What happens when the audience is on two sides of the stage, or three, or they have you surrounded? Let's talk about which stage combat illusions work, which ones don't, and which ones can be tweaked to still be effective. Plus, we'll go beyond just technique and talk about how the shape of the stage can help shape your design. Out swords and to work with all! Welcome to the Violence Design Lab podcast. Now here's the mad scientist himself, David Barefoot. Greetings, David here. Designing theatrical violence since 1992 and the founder of the ViolenceDesignLab.com, I am your virtual coach and online mentor. I'm here to encourage you to improve your stage combat, to coach you to choreographing better fights, and to train you to tackle the challenges of theatrical violence design. Now, when I think about designing for live theater, the theater space that comes up most often in my work, and the one that I honestly picture most often in my mind, is the proscenium, or end stage. This is the one where the audience is on the downstage edge of the theater. In other words, the audience is all on one side, the performers are all on the other. These stages are usually a rectangle where the long edge meets the audience downstage, and you have shorter or the narrow side is stage left, stage right. Uh, These can be very traditional with a proscenium arch that goes up and over the stage, behind which hang, you know, your curtains and wings and drops, maybe a cyclorama in the back. Uh, They can be flat, in other words, the lowest portion of the auditorium with the audience angled or raked from uh, down from farthest down towards the stage, rising up toward the back. They can have orchestra pits, balconies. These are your traditional stages ever since, uh, I think, Richard Wagner. And uh, they're a very popular thing you'll still see in many different places. So the proscenium is our sort of default, if you will. But it is not the only kind of space you're going to get. The next most common, I would guess, is the thrust. The thrust has audience on three sides, like a uh, like a runway model catwalk extending out into the audience, although on a much wider scale usually. The audience is on three sides of at least a portion of the stage. Now some thrusts are what I call pure thrust. In other words, the only area that the audience does not surround on three sides is the the extreme upstage edge of the theater where there's usually some entrances and exits. Now, there are stages that have a combination of proscenium and thrust. In other words, they have a thrust and the audience is sitting around it on three sides, but they also have at least some area that is more proscenium-like. As you go upstage, there is an area that goes that fills the auditorium from stage left to stage right that the audience does not surround. So you may sometimes get a modified thrust. If the audience is on all sides of the stage, whether that's a circle or a square or whatever shape your playing space is, then you're performing in the round. Uh, and as I say, we call it in the round because the audience is all around, not because the 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 stage itself is circular, but there's another arrangement. Now, there are some other corner cases, as you call them, unusual arrangements. Some of them are literally corner style. I've seen spaces that have a rectangular stage, a playing space, 
and the audience is on two sides, two adjacent sides, where the they're on the long edge, perhaps, like the downstage, and then maybe stage right or stage left. So in other words, they're sort of acting on a corner. This corner style can sometimes be the stage itself is in an L-shaped, so that you have one block of audience mostly centered along the long downstage edge, but you can also wrap around either on stage left or stage right and have additional playing space over there. These kind of uh, spaces are usually because we are performing in a space that is not or was not built as a dedicated theater. It is a converted store or it's a church or there is some other function to the space that requires this because those kinds of L-shaped stages are, are fairly unusual. The last kind that is a somewhat standard uh, arrangement is alley style. This is where audiences are on on two opposing sides of the stage. Again, if it, normally it's a rectangular playing space, sometimes square, and the audiences uh, are in two big blocks facing each other across the playing space. So you have proscenium, thrust, round, and then corner style and alley style. Those cover just about every audience and, and space uh, arrangement you can think of. And each of those has advantages, disadvantages, and effects on your violence design. First, I want to talk about how the space affects your stage combat technique. Now, the proscenium. Let's start there. This allows pretty much all stage combat illusions to work especially for uh, non-contact illusions. Stage combat illusions, of course, are designed to fool the audience's eyes. Non-contact hits have a problem, of course, because, well, there's no contact. And so we need to hide that lack of contact from the audience. Most of the stage combat illusions that are non-contact that you will learn were designed for a proscenium. In other words, the, the actors are on stage and the audience is on a single side. These techniques also work great for cameras, like movie or, or television cameras. There, of course, your, your audience is on one side and only has a single eye. But a proscenium space is the default uh, for stage combat non-contact techniques. We, of course, when you're designing for a proscenium, what you need to remember, of course, is your angle. In other words, if you're doing a non-contact illusion, the weapon, whether that be a fist or a sword or a baseball bat, has to draw, at some point in its movement, make a straight line from the weapon to the target to the eye in order for it look like, to look like that hit landed. Now, because your audience has more than the single eye of a camera. In fact, they're sitting in an auditorium that may be 20, 40, or 50 seats wide. Their eyes are spread all across the, the, uh, the audience seating area. So how can you make a straight line to all of them? Well, it's a cone. We need to remember that the farthest audience member uh, to the left and right, closest to the stage, those will be your, your farthest sight lines. Those define your cone. You draw a line from that audience member on, the, on stage right, that audience member on stage left. Make those, par those, those converging lines come in. The target has to be on 
that cone in that cone and the weapon has to cross both converging lines. In other words, at some point in its movement, it has to make a straight line with the, the, between the weapon, the target, and the audience member who's sitting extreme house right. And at the end of its movement, perhaps, it has to make that uh, straight line with, between the weapon, the target, and the audience on extreme house left. So that's what you need to remember about... Um, about prosceniums. If your proscenium is very wide, this can be challenging because now you might have a 120 degree arc that your your weapon needs to pass through in order to satisfy audience members on both extreme edges of that cone. You can usually cheat by moving the whole action upstage. The farther away from the audience you get, the narrower the field of vision of the audience becomes. In other words, that the cone becomes tighter and your movements uh, can suitably be have less side-to-side movement in order to make the illusion work. Now, if you're on a very wide but shallow stage, sight lines become problematic for non-contact hits. So just the fact that you're on a proscenium is not a magic bullet saying all the non-contact hits will always work. There is a theater in, in Vancouver that I worked with that their former stage was, I believe, 35 feet wide and about 8 feet deep. It was very, very challenging to get a simple, quote-unquote simple, right cross, non-contact hit to the face, to, to read in that space because there was an enormously wide field of vision of the audience. That cone was just massive and there was nowhere that you could move upstage far enough to really diminish it to a sort of a normal or more manageable uh, angle. Also remember, if you have balconies or the audience is, is severely raked up uh, toward the back, you're adding an additional, well, 3D cone that you need to design for. So if you design that non-contact hit and you've got balconies looking down on the action, they may well uh, see a very different look than you anticipated. It may look like your punch missed, depending on which angle uh, you're at. It may look like they, you hit that actor in a different part of the body, like you swung at a level that would hit their arm and they did a face reaction. So keep in mind your balconies and sight lines. But basically, the proscenium is the bread and butter of stage combat technique. It's what the the illusions were, were mostly designed for. When it comes to a thrust, this makes non-contact hits tricky because with a non-contact hit, at least one angle is going to be bad for your audience because you have people on three sides. Usually, uh, non-contact hits work, uh, you know, with an audience on one side or on an opposing side. You can sometimes get away with alley set, uh, setup, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But with a thrust, people are looking from a couple of 90-degree angles to your action, and usually they will see the air that you, and between the, the weapon and the target. Now, that's not to say you can't use non-contact hits, but you have to be a little trickier. You can momentarily block the, well, what you might call the bad angle with strategically placed scenery, uh, if you will. If we see someone behind a pillar that blocks the downstage edge and then we throw a punch that works for stage left and stage right, then 
to see the actor take the hit and stumble out into view of the downstage audience, you can maybe make that work. Sometimes you can block it with other actors' bodies. For example, I did one um, Romeo and Juliet uh, on a thrust, and we had uh, over 20 uh, actors in the opening brawl. And so we filled the stage with bodies, especially in the center of the stage. Well, that made a kind of proscenium because what it did is it blocked the audience's view, at least on one angle, um, by putting other people in the way. So that when the audience, they couldn't see everyone on the stage because there's just too many bodies moving in front of them, but the illusions that were close to them were designed for their angle and the other, uh, other angles that it would have seen through the illusion couldn't see those uh, bits because they were blocked by bodies. So, so you can do that. Also, if your thrust has VOMs, vomitoriums, you know, uh, usually on the downstage corners left and right, there are often exits and entrances, aisles that actors can use to come into and, and off the stage. And there are sometimes you can get way down in the corner with your fight and do a non-contact illusion there. Basically, you're briefly creating a, an alley-style audience by standing right in the corner. But... Keep in mind, this is tricky, and it you can't do a whole lot of non-contact moves. This will change your choreography. It changes your design. Even your sword work will be trickier. The non-contact hits, of course, um, you know, when you're trying to do a slash, uh, if you're trying to hit someone with a, with a long sword and do like a strike to the head, that's very hard to do in a thrust because someone's going to see the gap in between the weapon and the target. Also, if you're doing lunges, this is where the redirected lunge that, I, that I've talked about on several occasions really comes into its own. This is the one where when you're at middle distance and you're beginning uh, uh, a thrust with a lunge, you point dead center, or you point at the actual target, extend the arm, still pointing at the target, and then as you lunge or close the distance, and that would make the on-target thing dangerous, you redirect the point to where the parry position will take it. But what that does is it makes the illusion work so much better for people who have the angle. Um, because if you don't do that, if you just point off the, the body initially, thrust straight towards it, those people who are sitting there in that thrust, they're going to see that you thrust completely off target and they're going to say, well, okay, it didn't look like he was trying to hit her because he was stabbing into the air. If you, if you point and extend on target, online, and then as you begin to move, allow your sword to redirect as the parry comes in, then it looks like much more, it looks much more believable because it seems that the defender caught the blade as you were coming in, parried it to the final position while still being safe. So you have to do those kinds of things or make sure your actors are doing things like that or it's going to be fairly obvious that your attack was never intended to hit. Now, one of the most challenging spaces for stage combat is performing in the round because really you're limited to contact moves or highly blocked or masked illusions. Uh, you know, contact, contact hits here, scuffles, struggles, those are the kinds of things that are going to work the most. Sometimes, uh, sword work works great until you have to hit someone with a heavy sword. Uh, you can get away with a lot of rapier slashes, as we do, by placing the blade and drawing it. 
Um, and so that works pretty well. But when it comes to unarmed uh, struggles in the round, you're going to really have a tough time getting any strikes to the face. As I mentioned, sometimes you can mask the face hit illusions uh, in clever ways. One time we did this with by uh, doing a knee to the face because the defending actor, the victim, had a big hockey jersey and the attacker, before he pulled the guy down, he pulled the jersey up and over his head and pulled it out in front. So basically it masked where the guy's head was. He put the knee into where it wasn't in the jersey and, uh, you know, the guy played the hit and off we went. Uh, but it was hard. And also naps that are very tough to conceal as well. If you're doing a non-contact hit and you want to make the sound of impact, the nap, that's tough to hide because there's no place where an audience isn't looking at the actor. They have a 360-degree view and it's tough to hide that. So that's probably your most challenging. Although, honestly, full... Uh, round stages, theater in the round, is fairly rare. Uh, but be aware that it can come up and it will drastically change what you can do. When it comes to alley and corner, well, alley, as I mentioned briefly before, alley can sometimes be set up like two prosceniums facing each other. Uh, and and so that can, you can work with it like a standard right cross can work with the audience, you know, downstage and I guess upstage, of uh, the action. Keep in mind that naps become a little harder to conceal because the standard stage combat illusion naps t uh, would hide it upstage out of the audience's view in a proscenium. If you have an audience on that other side, it might be a little trickier. But you can usually set up an alley where you can do most of your moves. Obviously, all contact and, and control and struggle moves still work but you can do most of your non-contact moves by setting it up like, like two prosceniums. So corner, corner works basically like a thrust for non-contact. If the audience is on like downstage and stage right, someone is looking down that bad angle. Now you can play, literally play the corner, but then you have to cheat that angle of the farthest audience and house right on the downstage edge of the stage and the farthest well, I guess it's technically upstage audience in the uh, the the stage right um, portion of the stage. So that gets you can do it, but it make that makes it a very very wide proscenium if you're trying to do that, and that of course has its own challenges, like I talked before. Now that's just a stage combat technique. I mean, great, make your illusions work is what I'm saying, and there were just some tips on how to do that. But what I want to get into now is the more artistic side how the space informs the design. First of all, if you have a non-proscenium space, meaning you have the audience on more than one side, this is great because it frees you up from the purely linear movement that we get locked into, especially in sword fighting. We get into this idea of back and forth, left and right, and having the audience essentially in 3D gives you that freedom to move all over the stage. Circles are great. Large movements across the stage, things that carry you from one side to the other. Swirling fights, these are amazing. Uh, so design for that. Don't just stage a proscenium-style fight that turns to the sides occasionally. I've seen that. And it's just a missed opportunity. Even if you make the illusions work and the fight is still linear, 
you've kind of lost something that uh, you could have capitalized on. For example, I did um, a uh, Pocahontas, the musical, uh, had a lot of fights that I did, and it was staged in a thrust with balconies and a raked audience. So the audience completely surrounded the th- all three sides of the stage, or just a little bit upstage to enter and exit on. And there were balconies that were, you know, 15 feet up looking down. So, of course, that does make non-contact hits tricky, but what it was great for were these battle scenes because they carried all over the stage because the audience had an almost top-down view of the action. It's almost like you were looking at the tabletop uh, miniature war game and you could see where all the units and pieces were moving. A lot harder to do on a proscenium. Often, if you just have a proscenium, it's like a picture window, and that audience may be sitting 50 feet away, and the depth perception kind of blurs, and all they see is a body on bodies moving across the stage. They don't get to see how cool you are at arranging the pictures from the top. So that was really a great thing to do because now in that in that thrust with the balconies, it really freed up. Uh, the the large scale movements and and ways to direct the audience's eye by pulling people out and spites that spin off and reveals, and it was great. Now of course it did it performing in a, uh, a thrust or a round, it will create more reliance on contact and control moves, but that lends itself to a more visceral and savage style of violence. Too often when we put a lot of non-contact moves in there, these we, we end up with characters who are just trading punches back and forth. And that can get unrealistic pretty fast. And it tends to seem theatrical, tends to seem stylized, and lose a lot of the that kind of gripping intensity uh, and messiness that I really love in realism. So non-proscenium stages really lend themselves to that. They also, in non-proscenium stages, often bring the action closer to the spectators than an end stage would. I mean, again, many prosceniums, you know, they're raised three feet above the audience, and so there is this clear separation. Whereas if you're in a thrust or in the round, you know, you might be performing in the park with just a, a rope laid a, a, along the grass, and the audience is sitting right there or the audience is in an alley style, and their feet are basically extending into the playing space. Well, that really brings the action closer to the spectators. Yes, does it make it more challenging to get your illusions to sell? Yes, but it also brings the violence up into their face. I did um, a great... I, it was The theater did a great uh, production of Extremities, um, and they did it in the round. And if you're unfamiliar with the play, it's a long story short, a guy breaks into a woman's house to rob and ends up attempting to rape her, and she turns the tables violently on him, and it kind of goes back and forth. And there are some horrific violence in there, you know, beating each other with fireplace pokers, spraying raid in the face. I mean, it's a pretty nasty script. But what was so cool about it was it was done in the round, and the audience were just literally on folding chairs, and there was no separation between actor and audience. They were right there. And so in those moments, like where there's this horrific rape happening right at their feet, first of all, it's so close, and it's, it's, they can't get away from it. It's literally happening three feet from them. 
But the cool thing about being in the round in that for that thing was the other sides of the space. Not only were they watching the 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 vicious you know violence going on, but right there in their field of view were the other audience members reacting to it, watching in disgust or shrinking away or trying to get away from it, which goes, wow, they, they don't like it. Or even the audience members that, w- that didn't visibly react, now you were looking at a rape in progress and people sitting two and three feet away actively doing nothing to help. And that was an amazing intensifier to the show and really kind of brings up all those questions about what we do uh, uh, to rape victims and and how we we handle violence and how we don't want to get involved and so many other things just based on the shape of the audience. So let the space inform your design. Don't design everything for a proscenium and then tweak it or jam it into a thrust or a round or a corner or an alley. Design for that. Understand how that's going to affect things. Let the director know how that stage will affect things and then go for it. Take advantage of the non-traditional playing space. Well, that wraps it up, I think, for uh, designing for non-proscenium spaces. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do let others know about it. One way to do that is to head over to iTunes and leave me some stars and a review on the podcast page. If you do that, I will mention your name and thank you publicly here on the, on the episodes. And uh, I'll, include, I'll also include you in my private Facebook group called the Historical Stage Violence Forum. It's an invitation-only group for people who are interested in both historical fighting styles and stage combat. And you can interact and ask questions of me and members from literally around the world who share our interests. So do that, let me know about it, and I will send you an invite on Facebook. And this podcast is also entirely supported by the generosity of you, the listener. You'll notice there's no ads or corporate sponsorship. And if you'd like to help out and keep this project going week after week, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash violence design lab and enter your pledge. Each level of support has its rewards, including transcripts of the regular episodes and full uncut video footage of my interview episodes. Thanks in advance for your support. So until next week, keep the fights on stage and peace in your life. David, out. Thanks for listening to the Violence Design Lab podcast. For more tips, tutorials, and downloadable resources, visit us at violencedesignlab.com.